Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. All right, welcome into the Giants Wire podcast. And Dan, uh, my leadoff takeaway on this one is that last year we did that thing where the Giants were way below 500, but they had a chance to win the division, and it was kind of funny and cute, and we did this thing all the way to the end. They, they had a chance to make the playoffs, but this is a new year, and at 0-3 with losses to three teams in your weight class, there's no salvaging this thing. I think my opening takeaway right now is that it's over. The, the Giants are cooked already, and, and that's, that's sad to say, but uh, there's no path to the NFC East title with a losing record this year. Uh, it's not funny. And with a home loss to the Falcons, the freaking Falcons, who are not good. And I thought that franchise was the most dysfunctional in the league, but I think uh, there's a new one. Uh, I owe you an apology, Dan. Uh, I know I picked the Giants emphatically last week, and I was wrong. We could all see the Cowboys ascending and about to run away with the NFC East. I mean, at 0-3, you need like a special turnaround and some luck just to get back in the playoff discussion. And it's not going to happen with this team. They're cooked, and it's really, really disappointing because there were some actual expectations this year, right? Actual expectations, and we're going into week four, and I don't, I, I don't see how the Giants get back in this thing. I think it's over. I'm always hesitant to say that early in the season like this, and, and the argument would be that, you know, they lost the game to Washington in the final seconds on a bogus penalty. They lost to, you know, the Falcons at home on a last-second field goal, and they're that close on, you know, an offsides penalty, an interception for Edory Jackson away from being two and one, and blah blah blah. Yeah, you know what? Ifs and buts and all those things. You know, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they're zero three. They've lost to three teams they should have beaten, and now they go into the heart of their schedule where they're playing. You know, great teams, arguably some of the best in the league. Uh, You know, the way things are shaping up. Um, Historically, they don't play well down in Louisiana against the Saints. They're giving up roughly 50 points a game in the last three trips down there. Um, Then they got Dallas, who just look like world beaters right now. The Rams, who are arguably the best team in football. Uh, The Panthers, who have one of the best defenses in football. Then you got the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Buccaneers. Forget about it. You know, just forget about it. Like, I would love to come on here and spread some level of optimism, but if you can't beat the Broncos, Washington, and Atlanta, two of those games at home, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where you find that optimism other than just being you know, oblivious to the reality that is the 2021 New York Giants. Yeah, and I don't think the fan base is optimistic right now anyway, right? It's venomous, and, and this is what fans expect to hear when you're com- you know, commenting on their team. And um, this loss to the Falcons, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we talk about the broken record, and usually we joke about that, Dan, but it's really getting old. 
the fact that the same things continue to happen over and over. We were talking right before we started recording. Jason Garrett with his play calling. We we're always on here bitching about Jason Garrett's play calling. Um, but again, we talk about Daniel Jones's strength is throwing down the field, the deep ball. He's shown us over and over and over again that that's what he can do. And there's only one pass that traveled over 15 yards in the air. So is that on Jones or is that on Garrett calling the plays? It's probably on the guy calling the plays, right? And then red zone struggles. You know, Evan Ingram gets in the game and he turns it over. And that thing, I want to get into that too. And, you know, the defense not able to stop the Falcons on on that last drive and giving up these chunk plays. In, in crunch time it's just like man the, the more you look into this game against the Falcons to break it down the more you see the the same problems continuing to manifest themselves it's it's mind-boggling that this continues to happen it is and then I, I don't under, I don't I said it to you before we came on the air I don't understand the game plan it makes no sense to me especially after what we saw against Washington where Jones excelled with the deep ball he excelled on the RPO and you got one of each against the Falcons team that was, you know, arguably a much worse defense, certainly in the secondary, prone to giving up those big plays. What are they, giving up, you know, dozens of them to start the season? They're they're terrible. And the the Giants, you know, they called one. They called one. And that's just, it's mind-boggling. You know, Garrett is just obsessed with three yards, I mean, three downs for 10 yards. He just, he, he wants desperately for these teams to go on, you know, 15 play, 80-yard drives that eat up seven, eight, nine minutes a clock. And that's all well and good if you can get down into the red zone and then score. But the Giants can't do that. And, yes, they have moved the ball effectively, you know, prior to, you know, getting into the red zone. And then, you know, I sent you some data earlier this week that shows that once the Giants actually get into the red zone, their pass rate is so far below what's expected in comparison to the rest of the league that it's it's actually shocking. Because the argument this week has been, well, Daniel Jones can get him in the end zone and then he can't score. Well, they stop throwing the ball down there. They don't throw it anymore. They just try and run into, you know, eight, nine, ten-man boxes and, and hope for the best because they want to get those, you know, that 3.33 yards per, you know, per play so they can eat up the clock. And then what, what do they end up with? They end up scoring 14 points. And it was the same earlier this year with the exception of the Washington game. It was the same last year. It's just, like you said, it's a broken record. We're just beating the dead horse over and over and over again, and it's exhausting. Hearing you talk, like so, that's their game plan is to go three point three three yards per play and yeah, run that's, clock. That's that's Garrett's mo. He, he wants three downs and ten yards. That's how he wants to run things. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. That's the hardest thing to do in the NFL is sustain ten plus play drives every drive. Like there's always something that's going to happen. Penalty, a turnover. Like that's what good defenses make you do. Good defenses want you to have to go 10, 15 play drives and make you methodically pick your way down the field. Like you're playing into the defense's hands with that kind of strategy. No, no, no. You can't. That's that's not how we that's not how you play football in today's NFL. You, you can't you can't win like that. So that's listen, what, I have been, crazy. I've been a proponent of old school football. You've heard me say it a million times. I still think there's a fair balance between the new school and the old school to be had. What the Giants are doing is not just old school, it's ancient school. And it just makes no sense. Listen, we knew last year that the offense was going to be built around Saquon Barkley. And as an explosive back, that sort of made sense. 
He's struggling. There's just no other way around it. I know some people don't want to hear it. He's not the same guy right now. Doesn't mean that he can't be. But even when he is, I still don't think this philosophy works in today's NFL. They have got to become more forward thinking. Even if they want to grind things out, even if they want to focus on the ground game itself, that's fine. But you've got to find other ways to balance things out. And what they're doing right now is obviously not the answer. And why they're making no adjustments. And, and Judge said it this, this week. He said, we're not going to make any drastic changes. We want consistency. Well, you're going to get consistently the consistency. You're going to consistently lose. You're going to consistently fail. And pretty soon, you're going to consistently find yourself out of a job. Yeah, no, it's been pretty consistent so far, Joe. It's, it's, it's been real consistent. Uh, I, I think we titled the podcast last week um, that the, the fans are out for blood or something like that. And uh, then it kind of we saw that firsthand on the broadcast yeah. during the game, Dan, where Evan Ingram, you know, returns. It's, it's his first action of the season and almost promptly fumbles and gives away a turnover and it's just like Second oh no touch. yeah Second oh no touch. not again with you Evan Ingram like man and uh he was heavily booed obviously the fans have this has been a sticking point with everyone with Evan Ingram for for a while he's always seems to be either tipping balls to the defense or fumbling and this continued right every time he stepped on the field from that point forward yeah. he was booed when he left the game that there was cheers right and this yeah. made me think of like it, it, the NBA like you know, you hate LeBron James or something. So whenever LeBron touches the ball, you boo him. But you don't usually see fan bases doing this to their own players, right? So this is like, this is different, man. This is something completely different. Like the, the fans cheering every time Evan Ingram leaves the field and then booing him when he comes on. It's like, whoa, we got the point. Giants fans are just, they're done. And listen, I said it to you off air and I kind of alluded to it in an article this week. I, I thought that was a little unnecessarily cruel. And I am one of the biggest Ingram critics there are just because the expectations for him are so high and the skill he has is so unparalleled that it's maddening that he struggles in the way that he does with inconsistency and, you know, coming up small in big spots. Um, but cheering a player when they're checking out of a game is, you know, maybe taking it a little too far. And I don't want to, I don't want to slam Giants fans because I can understand their frustration. It's not necessarily directed solely at Evan Ingram. He just happened to be the lightning rod in that moment, which is built over the years for the same reasons I just mentioned. Uh, but make no mistake about it, that was an indictment much more of John Mara in this organization than it was about Evan Ingram himself. It just kind of stinks for him that he had to be the one to take it, and he probably will be the one to continue to take it. But that's that's a message to John Mara, and I think he heard it loud and clear. All right. Well, I have a little rant that I want to go on about the defense, too. We've been talking about the offense a lot. I've got some beef with the defense, too. Dan, let's do that on the other side. We'll do it coming up next. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. Welcome to week number four of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays. After a forgettable week three, Mac Jones, the rookie quarterback of the New England Patriots, takes on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. While normally I would avoid a rookie quarterback against this pass rush, the pass rush just hasn't been there yet for the Bucs. Only Washington has given up more points to quarterbacks, and that's mainly due to allowing a pair of rushing touchdowns. No team has given up more yardage than Tampa. There's a good chance that Tom Brady's offense will force the Patriots to throw more than they'd like. Running back Jonathan Taylor at the Miami Dolphins. Traditionally, I avoid players who are considered to be locks for lineups each week, but Taylor's been off to a sluggish start. In the event you're one of those antsy gamers who's looking to possibly bench him, a trip to the Miami Dolphins defense should do wonders. 
This unit has given up over 120 rushing yards, over 52 receiving yards, and a touchdown every 20.4 touches. This is a top 10 matchup across the board for fantasy football purposes. Lock in Taylor and expect a strong game despite the offensive line issues at the moment. Wide receiver Christian Kirk, Arizona Cardinals at Los Angeles Rams. Playing more than 60% of his snaps from the slot, Kirk is averaging a career high in fantasy points per game and a career high in receiving average. DeAndre Hopkins still may not be 100% by kickoff after suffering a rib injury in week two, and he and AJ Green will have to contend with two of the strongest cornerbacks in the NFL. Expect the strong defense by the Rams on the outside to divert Kyler Murray to throwing inside to Christian Kirk. Rookie tight end Pat Fryer moves to the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Green Bay Packers. He is clearly the go-to tight end with Eric Ebron falling way behind on the target count. And Fryermuth has been more productive. This is a matchup that has game script for pass-heavy offense written all over it. Only one team has given up more receptions to tight ends than the Packers. This is the ninth best matchup to face for yardage. And this is the fourth best team to face for scoring efficiency. Target hog wide receiver Deontay Johnson is expected to return. There's no guarantee that he'll be 100%. While we may be one month into the season already, it's not too late. Go over to thehuddle.com to check out our award-winning fantasy football news, information, and advice. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's USA usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Dan, another another big question for you is what happened to the defense under Patrick Graham? I mean, one thing that's really stuck out is that not very opportunistic, right? They're not making plays that can swing games like a Dory Jackson dropping a, an easy interception in the end zone that would have effectively ended the game. The Giants are up seven at that point. You salt away the game there. Adoree Jai, I think he dropped a couple turnovers and just not very opportunistic right now. And I have a rant that's just, this is just a side thing, but Corderell Patterson, I mean, he's not that good. And he, he killed you in this game. And he had over 100-plus scrimmage yards. And he was a Patriot for a while, so I had to deal with Corderell Patterson being the running back slash receiver, Dan. And I hated it. I'm like, oh, my God, get this guy off the, off the field. He blows. I had to look it up. When was the last time Corderell Patterson had 100-plus scrimmage yards? 2014. His second season in the league. He doesn't do this. And Corderell Patterson's out there gashing you. He's the leading receiver for the Falcons. I'm like... What the hell happened to the Giants' defense? How is Corderell Patterson burning you in crunch time late in the fourth quarter? I mean, we've been scratching our head about the play calling and all this, but I'm looking at the defensive side of the football, and this might be the most disappointing aspect of the team so far. Well, I'll tell you right right in the beginning, right up front, it's obvious that their lack of pass rush is just wrecking shop pretty much across the entire defense. Not going to get any better now, not that he was much of a pass rusher, but the defense ain't going to get any better now with Blake Martinez out for the season. That's brutal. That is absolutely, that is a damning, damning injury to this team that was already struggling. Um, But those guys are Front. They got to start generating some pressure. Where, where's you know Zimenez? Where is Carter? Where are these guys that were showing off during the summer and almost had Patrick Graham in tears about you know the progress they were making? 
Have you seen them? Because I haven't seen them. I, the last I saw them, their picture was on a milk carton because I don't know where the heck they are at this point. Leonard Williams, till he came through with a sack, has been relatively quiet. And, you know, people are going off on Ojolari about, oh, he's got three sacks through the first three, you know, three games. Yeah, he does. He's gotten three cover sacks through the first three weeks of the season. And, look, I'm not knocking him. The kid is playing as hard as he can. He's actually playing the run better than I expected him to play it. Not great, but better. But, you know, he's getting washed out on a lot of these plays, too. He's taking roughly 50% of the snaps, and he's getting washed out on most of them. But it's not just him. Everyone's getting washed out on most of them. Um, I think, you know, one of the big things is you don't have Dalvin Tomlinson in the middle clogging up multiple blockers anymore. And that's not a knock on the guys that the Giants have in there. That's just a testament to how talented he was and what he commanded from an offensive game plan standpoint when, you know, going against the Giants. So that leaves more pressure on Leonard Williams, who hasn't been necessarily living up to it. You know, the edge rushers are essentially non-existent. Um, that's freeing up receivers and tight ends and even running backs to run around the field until they find a space. And, you know, then they're hit. As you got guys like, you know, again, Teddy Bridgewater, Heineke, um, you know, and, and Matt Ryan, who's ancient at this point and not exactly in an offensive system that's built to burn, you know, just out there, just dominate. And, uh, yep. you know, there's there's too much cover, too. There's not enough blitzing. There's not enough aggression. It's sort of bizarre. They've really fallen off from where they were uh, last year. And the talent really, prior to, you know, Blake's injury, really hadn't fallen off a cliff that much, arguably with Adore Jackson there and, and, you know, some health in the secondary, especially at safety. You know, on paper, they should be better than they were a season ago, but instead they're much, much worse. That's such a good point. They haven't even played a real quarterback yet. And no. you can't play defense this in, in, you know, we're talking about these like ancient game plans. Like you can't play defense in the modern NFL, Dan, unless you're pressuring the quarterback and, and affecting the quarterback. The quarterback can't just sit back there with all I, day to throw. I don't really, care who I, it is. I, I think Graham really had faith in his guys. Maybe yeah. too much faith. Maybe yeah. a blind faith. Whatever whatever you want to call it. And, and I think even and even some of us were guilty of it because during the summer we're like, wow, you know, Lorenzo Carter, Zimenez, Ojolari, this team should finally be able to rush the passer. Those guys aren't showing up. That's just all there is to it. They're not winning their one-on-ones. They're not winning their matchups. They're not getting to the quarterback. Not only are they not sacking the quarterback, they're not really putting any pressure on the quarterback at this point. And now, again, you're getting into the heart of your schedule where you're playing legitimate, serious burning quarterbacks. And um, if this persists and Graham doesn't revert back to scheming pressure, which I know he doesn't want to do, but at this point, you've got to do it because you guys are getting you're getting your secondary toasted. James Bradbury looked like a complete lockdown number one a season ago, and I don't think he's playing as bad as his numbers indicate right now, largely for the same reasons we just talked about right now. But you cannot leave these guys out on an island against NFL receivers for that extended period of time. I don't care who it is. You could put and plug and play any cornerback in the NFL. When they have to cover talented, speedy wide receivers for that long, you're going to get beaten. Yeah, even Corderell Patterson, as we saw. I mean, way, way too easy on that Falcons game-winning field goal drive, Dan, where they open up with plays of 28 and 25 yards to get right down the field and into field goal range. It's like, what? Oh, what are we doing? Uh, so it's very frustrating. But that kind of leads into uh, this really fun tweet you put out there, which I think was half in jest. But anyway, I thought it was fun, and I want to I talk about it because I, I uh, partaked in the vote. Who's to blame? Is it the coaching? And we'll include all the play calling and, and coordinators in that. 
Is it the quarterback who some people, for some reason, continue to blame? Is it the ownership who heard the boo birds and uh, uh, you were telling me was throwing the garbage cans in his owner's box? So we, we know the ownership's not happy. Or is it the GM, Dan? Uh, th- those are those were the options. Who's to blame? Like, why don't you answer the question? You could make the case for everyone, but Jones. I you know I just put Jones in there you know kind of tongue in cheek because he's faced so much criticism which is almost right that, that was the right mind, answer right everyone right, but Jones that's what you were looking mind, for mind blowing you know I'm inclined to to blame Gettleman for a lot but you know we've been told you know endlessly over the last year and a half that Judge and him share responsibility they share opinion they share decisions you know that was the big thing when everybody believed the Giants were going in the right direction it was because of Judge Judge is doing it not Gettleman when they fail it's Gettleman when they succeed it's Judge well guess what they're not succeeding at all now so whose fault is it and I think they all have a little slice of that pie but really if I wanted to you know, if I wanted to say one more than the other, I, I at this point I hate saying it. I really do, but I'm pinning it on Mara because Mara is just—he's too loyal to guys that are too far behind in the modern NFL at this point. And Jason Garrett is the prime example of that. Would Joe Judge have hired Jason Garrett if it wasn't for the input and the pressure put on him by John Mara? Looking at the rest of his coaches, I'm not inclined to believe that he would. And yet here Jason Garrett is, again, four weeks into this season, right in the same spot, despite the fact that the Giants are averaging you know, roughly 17 points per game in the modern NFL. And that's that just screams merit to me. That screams merit to me more than anything else. And if you want to blame it on Dave Gettleman, well, again, that loyalty for Mara is the reason why Gettleman is here. It's the reason why Kevin Abrams is here. It's the reason why Jason Garrett's here. It's the reason why other Maras still run the scouting department. You can go down the line. You can go all the way down the line. So at the end of the day, you know, they say – crap rolls downhill well if you trace that back up the hill it only leads to one man yeah you know i thought my gut reaction was gettleman because you know he hired the offensive coordinator he hired joe judge who i think you know we start to look at it to be fair to be fair to those listening the giants the giants take the input from a lot of different people before yeah head coach it's not solely the general manager both owners Kevin Abrams, Gettleman, uh, several other members of the organization all have a say in that. And again, that's why I trace it right back to the top. And I don't even necessarily and, – and Tish, nobody ever talks about Tish, but he's not – you know, he shouldn't be excluded from this disaster just because he doesn't show his face that much. He's a co-owner. He has decisions that he has to make. He has input, too. He is every bit to blame for this, as Mara is. Yeah, no, I, that's where I was going with that. I, I was going to agree with you. I think you talked me out of the GM because it does. It goes it goes beyond the GM. It goes, you know, all the way to the top, pressure from the top. And But you look at Judge, and he's very raw, and he's trying to, you know, he was a special teams coordinator for the Patriots, as the fans remind us on Twitter all the time, Dan, right? Yeah. They, they love to bring yeah. up the special teams thing. Yes, they um, do. And, you know, he's trying to turn around a struggling franchise and develop a young quarterback, and he's raw. It's just like we should have expected it, and I think, you know, to an extent, we probably did, but it's not getting better anytime soon. And uh, speaking of that, the next opponent is um, a tough spot for the Giants at 0-3, heading to New Orleans to play a pretty good Saints team. We're going to look at the odds and make a pick. But first, our friends from the Sportsbook Wire have their play of the week. This is the typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of BetSlip and Podcast and SportsbookWire.com. Here with my colleague, Jeff Clark to break down the marquee Sunday night football matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New England Patriots. The Buccaneers 
are six and a half point road favorites at minus 122 odds in the battle of Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Buccaneers are my pick to win by seven or more. This line seems soft. I don't care about Brady Belichick. This is a Super Bowl caliber Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Hasn't looked apart so far. Better days are ahead, and those are going to come against rookie Mac Jones and the Patriots. Jeff. I'm with you. I got the Buccaneers. I'll lay more than a touchdown or whatever it gets to. Brady's got all the motivation and all the help around him that Belichick doesn't. And Mac Jones is graded out or, excuse me, is discussed as if he were better than the rookie quarterbacks, whereas I think he's as bad as the rookie quarterbacks. And we should see a get-right game for the Tampa Bay defense that struggled through the first three weeks. I'll lay whatever with the Bucs. Let's just call it a touchdown. That was your typical sports book fantasy minute win your fantasy football league with the huddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at typico sportsbook for a limited time new typico sportsbook users in colorado and new jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast that's usatodaybet.com slash podcast see typico.com for terms and conditions 21 plus only gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in new jersey 1-800-522-4700 in colorado all right, Dan, Giants, Saints, the uh, the Saints are eight and a half point favorites in this game at home in New Orleans, uh, and that line has been climbing. And for me, it's a, I think this is, might be the worst matchup you could think of coming off an 0-3 start because the Giants, as we've been talking about, have uh, major dysfunction throughout the program right now. I think there's no other way to put it. And I think the Saints probably have the tightest program in the league, right? When you really think about it, boatload of injuries, including to their top two wide receivers. They were displaced by Hurricane Ida. They were freaking practicing in Dallas. They had to play a home game in Jacksonville. And they're two and one. And then and, the roof lit on fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Superdome roof goes on fire, too. Like, come on. There, there's all, all this adversity with New Orleans. I always talk about with John Sigler of the Saints Wire all the time. It's like there's always something going on with this team. And they always seem to overcome it. They it does, feed yeah. off it. And yep. this is going to be their first true home game in the Superdome, right? Their fans are finally going to be back. The stadium's back open. I think they fixed the roof, Dan. And they're, they're going to be back in there. And... I don't know. This is a very tough spot in a hostile environment against the Saints team that's, you know, got a clue and they're tight in all three phases, especially on defense. And I hate the spot for the Giants. Eight and a half's a lot. Uh, I like that line for the Saints a lot more at seven and a half, where I think it was earlier in the week. But even at eight and a half, I think I'm laying the points. I, I don't I don't see any way I can side with the Giants after I was so sure they would beat the Falcons last week, Dan. And I, and I actually put my own money on the game. I did bet the Giants. Oh, no. Yeah, I lost some money on the Giants. So now I'm, I'm scorned and I've got to back the Saints. What do you think? In my initial reaction is the Giants are going to get blown out of the water. They, they do not play well when they travel down to the Superdome. In the last three visits there, they've, they've allowed 48 points, 49 points, and 52 points. Now, granted, that was with Drew Brees at quarterback. But I... Don't put it past Jameis Winston to put up those kind of points. He's entirely capable of it. We've seen it already this year once. He can have those days where he really likes the world on fire, but he also can have those days where he tosses five interceptions. Absolutely. And, and Sean Payne's trying to really squeeze good. that out of him, right? He's trying to yeah. squeeze that part of the game out, but you can only squeeze it so much. Yeah. Like every now and then, right. Buccaneers right. Jameis comes out. He's entirely capable of having those hiccups. Now, does it come this week? You know, I personally wouldn't bank on it, but I'm not going to rule it out either. And 
having covered the Giants for the last 18 years and, and watched them my entire life, I could tell you this, and I know every Giants fan listening to this podcast can attest to this. The Giants traditionally have this really bizarre thing where they play up to their level of the opponent or down to the level of the opponent. And we've seen that three times already this year. Now, I'm not telling anybody to go out and bet on the Giants, whether it be straight up or points, but I will not rule out the possibility that they can shock the world and pull off one of those crazy Giants wins or even, you know, even just on the lesser side, keep it within the points and, and potentially win some Giants fans money if they want to bet on that again. Not a financial expert. I'm not a betting expert. I wouldn't tell you to bet on the Giants. But again, I would leave that opportunity open. And I know some people will hear that and think that's crazy considering the way they played. It's not logical. I know. I know all of that. Giants fans know all of that. The Giants have these illogical moments throughout their history. And with everything stacked against them the way that it is right now, the fact that it's going to probably be the largest spread of the season for them to date, um, it just screams to me it could be one of those Giants moments. I don't think so. But again, I will leave the door open to that possibility. Well, the Giants tend to do things over and over and over again, Dan. So maybe that will happen. That's true. Um, and know. listen, you know, the truth is, is, is the Saints are ailing a little bit right now. You know, their, their offensive line is struggling a little bit more, you know, at positions there than, yep. than maybe they thought it would. They've had some injuries to so their skill position players. To, you know, Toronto Armstead is not going to be playing. That's a big one. In this game. That's a big and that one. is huge, especially against a team that's struggling to generate any kind of pass rush. So it, maybe it opens the door. To, to you know, fixing this defense a little bit, you get a little pressure on Jameis Winston. Well, you know the kid is—he's going to toss interceptions. That's just all there is to it. And as long as Adore Jackson doesn't I was drop say, him, you got to catch you know, it, Adore. Right. You got to catch it. Right. Yep. But again, on the other side of the ball, though, it, it's going to come down to play calling. And if there's ever a pl- you know place to open things up. It's down in Louisiana in the Superdome. Will Jason Garrett do it? That's the one thing I would not bet on. Yeah, you know, the Saints are very strong defensively. They're top 10 in total yards allowed. They really, they're historically great against the rush, and they're top three in rushing yards allowed right now. They're only allowing 14 points per game. You know, that's helped by smoking the Packers in that in that week one game. Whoa. I mean, remember that game? 38-3, to three, they... Well, that, that, see, that's, that's, the, that's the good Jameis Winston. Yeah, right? yeah. Maybe, maybe this is the bad Jameis Winston. Ex- exactly. But the yeah. defense, I thought, they, they just shut right. it down. And, you know, it's tough. When you're a Giants team that doesn't score a lot of points and struggles to right. score, you're going up against a really good defense that limits scoring right. pretty well. Yeah. Um, tough spot. The total right. day. Oh, go ahead. This, this would have to be the, the place and the time to, to let Daniel Jones do his thing. If ever was there was a time to run the RPO pretty consistently and take shots deep down the field, this is certainly it. You've got nothing to lose at this point. Again, I, I wouldn't bank on Garrett doing that. I'm sure he'll go into that and be like, oh, one of the best defenses, run defenses in the NFL, let's run straight up the middle. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know I could see that, you know, it being exactly what's going to happen. Again, that three downs and 10 philosophy that he has. But, you know, the potential is there for the Giants against a Packer. I mean, a Saints team that may maybe underestimate them a little bit. You know, the Giants are going to find themselves in that spot now where they play these top teams and the top teams look at them like, oh, it's the Giants. Who cares? You know, and you could potentially take advantage of that. But, you know, we'll see. Again, I'm not I'm not banking on it, but I'll leave that door open. Yeah. I mean, if, there, if there's ever a time to, to chuck the ball, um, right. you got to do it. I mean, the Patriots tried it last week with Mac Jones. It didn't go so well, but that's yeah. rookie. The total is 42 and a half 
Usually you always bet the under with the Giants, right, Dan? And I still want to look at the under here because you're playing a Saints team that's going to be run first with Alvin Kamara. That's kind of their only offensive weapon. Yeah. For some reason, Belichick couldn't stop him last week. He just like waltzed into the end zone on an easy uh, pass catch on third and seven, just walked into the end zone, uncovered Alvin Kamara. So hopefully well, the Giants can cover that guy. Yeah. yeah. That's an exceptionally bad matchup for the Giants. It is. Yeah. So I feel like the Saints are going to they're, they're a run first team. They're not going to let Jameis throw the ball 30 times. I can promise you that. And are the Giants going to score more than 10 to 14 points? I don't know. Hopefully, I mean, they have to if they want to win, but they, they couldn't do it against the Falcons. So, you know, I look at this this total, and I still want to go under. But if the Giants compete or win it, it's probably going to go over, right, the total. Yeah. But I still, you know, the way I think this game's going to go, I mean, I like the Saints. I think this is a tough spot, and I think I'm leaning under. But what do you think about the total? I, I think this is where it's going to su- surprise some people. I'm actually going to take the over okay. on this one. And that that's not necessarily to say the Giants are going to put a ton of points. Uh, but I just think, first of all, based on their points per game averages this season, not to mention the history of the Giants going down to you know the Superdome the last however many times. Again, Drew Brees, I know. Um, I just see that maybe there's going to be some more points put up in this one. Hopefully, hopefully Jason Garrett's like lets Daniel Jones air it out a little bit. That may result in a couple interceptions, and I'm sure people will melt down if that's the case. But I've got no problem with those interceptions if they're taking shots down the field and putting up some points. And you know, forget you know the red zone offense. Skip it. Just. Take those shots, score from as far out and as often as you possibly can, because that's going to be their only chance to win this game. And my hope and my belief is that someone in the organization is going to realize that they're going to open things up enough. They may not get the victory, but I do think they go over in that case. Yeah, the Saints, um, they do have a lot of turnover in their secondary. They got a rookie, Paulson Adebo, playing a lot. Um, he's like a starter for them on this, in you know, a corner, and they just brought in Bradley Roby. So, you know, the I wouldn't say the state secondary is like as tight as it probably will be later on in the year. So, I like it. You got to throw it. Forty-two and a half is it's pretty it's pretty low for you know pretty much any NFL game. And granted, you know, we we saw two you know two weeks of kind of offensive struggle a little bit for the Saints, and three you know two weeks for the Giants with you know the hiccup in the middle there. So. Um, but still, 42 is, is pretty low for a game between these two teams in the Superdome. And uh, I just think it's kind of sort of a safe bet to go over. Yeah, 42, it feels like the highest number that the Giants have had this year. So uh, there's got to be something there, right? That some, someone's expecting some, some points in this one. So I like yeah. it. You know, we will be back next week. I think, right, to break this thing down. I can't guarantee we'll be back next week because my wife and I have a baby on the way, Dan, and yeah, uh, any right. any day now, any day, this that's week or right. next, we have no idea when. So uh could happen I'll any day what, now. That's where, and, I'm, that's where I'm betting my money right there, Ryan. Kickoff, Sunday night. Patriots box. Buccaneers yep. and Patriots. Been, your baby is coming. I've been saying it since the summer, so I would not be surprised. <laughs> and you know what? I'll be upset, but I'll, I'll accept it because that means uh, it's a boy, and that just means he wants to be out to, to see the, the greatest right. game of all time Patriots Fox, Brady Belichick hey, so congratulations thank to you, you guys yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. it so if Dan and I disappear next week for some reason it's probably because there's a baby um, if not we will be back as normal to break down uh, the Giants and Saints game so so Dan we'll just say uh, we'll be back as soon as possible does that sound good that thing right that there sounds good. hopefully the Giants have one win by whenever that may be <laughs> exactly yeah so uh, we'll talk to you all next time 
This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.